Welcome, everyone. This is Oliver Shirach speaking for another Oliver Shirach show. And today I'm sitting here with, how are you called? The, uh, the laughing expert for business. The, the humor Andrew. engineer, yeah. Yeah, humor engineer. That's what it was. Uh, Andrew Tarvin, right? Mm -hmm. You got it. Okay, I'm never sure. I'm Swiss speaking English. That's sometimes pronunciation uh, goes wrong. So thank you that you took your time. Yeah. Um, we have a common friend, Stoyan, mm -hmm. which told me I should try it out. And uh, I really like your TED Talks and other YouTube videos I found, uh, especially your grandma. Must be yeah. a <laughs> very funny woman. <laughs> She is. Maybe that's where I get some of my, uh, my, my humor and creativity from. I don't know if it's, you know, genetic or learned or otherwise, but uh, no, I'm, I'm happy to be here and I appreciate you being willing to do it in English because it's, you know, like very stereotypical Americans. It's the only language that I speak. So I'm glad that we're not trying to do it in Swiss because we would not get very far. Uh, I, I just posted one uh, episode in Swiss yesterday. <laughs> so I, I'll do I do that as well. I have also French um, and Danish episodes, and I'm still waiting for the Romanian, perhaps an Italian and the Spanish one. But my Italian and Spanish is a bit um, out of practice. So, are you a New Yorker or are you American or? Yes, I'm American. I uh, I grew up in the the state of Ohio uh, here in the United States, but I currently and have lived in uh, New York City for the past uh, twelve years or so. So I feel like I'm a New Yorker now at this point. Okay, so you're downtown New York. Yep, yeah, I'm in the the East Village here in New York. Okay, so a lot of noise and buzzing going on exactly so we may hear you know construction or other things kind of throughout this interview hopefully it'll be relatively quiet but yeah where there's quite a bit of a, a buzz going on but it's a it's a fun part of the city yeah i i have the birds working hard um about what is that like four meters from me we have a barbecue grill and some i have no idea how you call it rotkehlchen in german the little tiny bird with a red uh, throat uh, okay uh, yeah. we destroyed the nest like three four times because it's in the under the grill and like <laughs> it's on our veranda so i'm like this is not so good for a bird if we are all the time out here but she yeah. was very persistent and she rebuilt the nest like three or four times and eventually said okay <laughs> all right she's, she's that, which is kind of a, an ironic spot to to choose like considering it's like you probably grill other types of birds on <laughs> the barbecue that they're she's just like flaunting it right there of like all right this is gonna be my spot <laughs> yeah i don't know it's the heat she gets i don't know so yeah. in case a bird wants to get to the ne to the nest might be suddenly like yeah. getting very loud so i have like the nature sound you're gonna have the city sound yeah um yeah so now as i don't really know you more than from online youtubing <laughs> yeah. so how would you describe yourself in i don't want to keep it like at three words but like you know like three sentences or yeah, yeah describe describe yourself for the audience which have never heard of you yeah well the uh so the where the phrase uh humor engineer comes from is that's that's like the most succinct way for me to explain what it is kind of that I do because uh, my background is computer science and engineering and as a computer scientist I would solve problems using computers right creating programs or using technology etc and I did that uh, as a project manager at Procter and Gamble for a number of years uh, and then when I started doing what I do now, I kind of think of it as a similar thing. And that's where humor engineer came from is I help organizations or individuals solve problems in the workplace, uh, things like employee engagement, stress management, uh, communication skills, uh, create creativity is one of those. Uh, but using things like humor, using what I've learned as an improv and stand up comedian for the last you know, 15 plus years. Combining basically those two backgrounds of humor and engineering together to solve workplace challenges, basically. So that's that's you. Also, uh, in, how are you in private life? Like the very serious guy, and uh... <laughs> no, I mean the, the privately probably the maybe the most important thing for people to know about me is that I'm a nerd. <laughs> uh, you know, and so, so sometimes people ask what type of nerd, and the answer is yes. 
And I, you know, I love computers, love math, love, you know, sci-fi shows. I'm a huge Doctor Who fan and Star Wars, Star Trek, both um, video games, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, you know, basically, yeah, any type of nerd stuff that's out there, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. So that's what I do kind of on the personal side as well. Yeah, I, I, I cannot resist Star Wars and Star Trek. I mean, normally here you either or. Because if you're a Star Trek fan, you hate Star Wars and the other way around. So how comes both? Well, I mean, I think you can appreciate both. You can you can appreciate the big fanfare that is Star Wars and these like, you know, more movies. And The Mandalorian was a great, you know, I thought a great TV show and the movies and all that. And then you can also appreciate the more serialized. Um, I think I think Star Trek overall is is better well done in a sense because it's a series and they explore a lot more topics through it but star wars is also super fun right so i, I think you can be a fan of both yeah so i cannot help it but you you mentioned in some of the videos on youtube that um <laughs> you made these personality um tests what star wars character are you and so on mm -hmm. so i have to go a bit deeper right mm -hmm. away um Probably I go too fast, too deep before I get all my warm-up questions. But uh, <laughs> what is so enticing in Star Wars? What is it that draws people to Star Wars and the figures? I mean, I think there's there's a couple of things. I think one, it just looks cool, right? You've got <laughs> spaceships and explosions. You've got lightsabers. Like who wouldn't necessarily want a lightsaber? Plus, a lightsaber makes like a really cool sound. And then I think it's just, you know, traditional kind of storytelling. It is, you know, you can you can see yourself in one of the different characters and you kind of see the the hero's journey kind of like come into play and you're like, you, you're like, oh, do I want to be Ray? Do you want to be more, are you more of a Luke? Are you more of a like, um, you know, C-3PO just walking around helping people out? Like, I think, you know, it's, it's fantastical in nature. It helps us to escape because it's something that looks very different. But at the same time, there's still stories and things that resonate. Um, so it's probably that or the lightsabers. <laughs> yeah, I can see where you come from. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, let's see how you answer that question. Um, you are a new color in a coloring box. What color would you be and why that color? A new color so it doesn't like exist? Ah, no, you're just a new addition. Like, whatever. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, it could also um, not exist if you want to go that way. That's true. Well, yeah. Well, I was going to like, I have to invent a color that doesn't exist. That seems tough. Uh, no, I am, um, uh, I think I'm going to be uh, orange peel orange. Orange peel? Yeah. So like the, the outside of an orange, the fruit, that color orange. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Yeah. So it's like the yeah. language, the play with words orange peel yeah orange. exactly so like orange peel orange so i like it because i think it sounds like a good name it sounds like a a, <laughs> a crayon color like that they might actually have and then orange is my favorite color i've loved orange for whatever reason always growing up and so uh i would go i would go that okay so so you you have never changed the favorite color since you remember no, not since I can, because orange is an interesting one because it's not most, you know, in we, when we do surveys on our site, a lot of times we'll add kind of fun or just different questions. And so one of the surveys on our site, we have over a thousand people who have responded to it. And one of the, just the random questions to make the survey a little bit more fun is what is your favorite color? And statistically, <laughs> at least for this survey, I, the most people's favorite color, the order goes blue and then green. I don't remember what it is after that, but it's blue is like 37% or something like that. It's like a pretty high percentage that most people's favorite colors is blue. Green is up there with a lot of people. Orange is very low. And whenever I tell people orange is my favorite color, they're usually surprised by that. And so I think pretty early on, I would get this reaction from people where they'd be like, what? That's kind of a different, interesting color. And so I, I've always held on to it since then. I'm like, yeah, I've decided for whatever reason, you know, little me decided orange. And so I'm going to stick with it. So what kind of orange? I mean, now I've done the School of Art, at least the introduction year, and I didn't continue. So I know a little bit the spectrum. So in what orange spectrum are we talking? More into the yellowish or more into the red or... Like just like really, the one really that, that wonderful intersection because I don't like the burnt orange too much. I don't like you know I don't want it to be too dark and but I also don't want it to be so light that you think that it's yellow. 
Like I really like that, yeah, like the, that like, intersection, like, like an orange peel. Yeah, like the intersection. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's 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 funny because um, in I have the feeling blue and red are similarly coming up for my question here in the mm -hmm. podcast. I mean, I also had banana. Now I have orange, right? Yeah. The orange peel orange, and I yeah. had banana as a color, and I had, of course, glimmer. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I have the feeling it's like blue teal um, petrol comes. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, turkeys which would then be the green blue yep. but also red i've had at least three in the last two months which said red because it's a uh, powerful color and it's yeah, a strong color yeah you have to be able to wear it it's not being worn and for me orange is the color for creativity uh at least that's what psychology says right yeah also yeah, it, was, it was frank sinatra's favorite color as well really i would have a guest black yeah. I don't know. I so Frank Sinatra. In addition to singing, he was a he was a painter. He like not professionally, but one of his main hobbies or pastimes was painting. And so he would, um, as gifts for people and things like that, he would paint for them. And uh, yeah, there's an exhibit here in New York City, and I went and it talked about orange being his favorite color. I was like, yes, I have additional. I have some uh, some background, some good uh, a creative person backing me up. Okay, I didn't know that. So, nice side uh, note for people. Yeah. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. Cool. Um, let's go to the next one. Mm -hmm. You're a pretty open person, so let's see what we find out. A, a secret, something, a habit, or, you know, a must in your life. Not many people know about you. It could be like yeah. you're biting your lips to death if you have to f come up with a new um, stand-up show or... Mm -hmm. You have frogs, like <laughs> Stoyan, you know, eat the frog yeah. Yeah. everywhere. Do you come, anything comes to mind? Uh, what's the secret? So I, um, like you said, I'm pretty open. And, and especially as a comedian, that you, you kind of mine your own life for, for humor. Um, I, this is a secret. I haven't necessarily told a lot of people. I play solitaire a lot. But like, now or used to? No, like even still now, that's what's crazy about really? it. It's like, even though I have a Nintendo <laughs> Switch, even though I have access to the world of information, even though there's Netflix that I could be watching or podcasts I could be listening to or something, but specifically Spider Solitaire. Uh, <laughs> I've been spending it, playing it too much. And, and sometimes, depend, like if you, if you have pretty advanced settings, it can take like an hour to do one game. And I'm still sitting there one hour and like doing it. I don't know... I think, I don't know what it is. I think it's one of the few things. Because, like, even if I watch, like, say, a stand-up comedy special, in a way, it's almost a little bit of work. Like, it's just, like, because I'm maybe doing a little bit of research or understanding, okay, what's the craft behind it or something like that. So I think solid, Spider Solitaire is one of the few things that I do that is, like, there's no real, there's no value to it. Aside from me working the brain muscle a little bit, there's nothing that I'm learning from it other than just doing Solitaire. Yeah, if you say you have up to an hour to solve one of them, so it's mm -hmm. not like the fast um, boost you get of Candy Crush or... Right, yeah. It's But the <laughs> epic thing of like the long thing when you finally solve it. I'm playing <laughs> basically, yeah, because I'm, I'm doing the Spider Solitaire version with four decks. And so there's a lot of like back and forth and stuff. And it's just kind of, I don't know, I love solving problems. I love logic problems. Uh, and in, in some ways there's there's logic to how do you need to, to do this to, to get it to work. Okay, do you think... Yeah, um, that you also kind of, it's kind of like a meditation. Yeah, in a way, it's, it's a way to, and I think maybe that's a great point is that it's, it's I'm, I'm often thinking I'm planning, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, you know, your, your work is never really done. It's kind of like, okay, I've done enough for today, or I'm always planning things of like, okay, what am I going to work on tomorrow? What's this struct, what's this event going to be? What humor do I want to create? How am I going to lead this workshop? And I do think because it's enough of a distraction, it kind of gets me to not think about anything. So yeah, maybe maybe it's more meditative in that way. Yes, I mean, what do how uh, how to uh, put that question? Meditation. Mm -hmm. how, now that we brought it up, how do you look at meditation? What is meditation for you? What do you think it is? If you 
Yeah, so I mean, I think it can be different for, I don't do kind of the the traditional sense of, of meditation all that often. So I'm not, you know, I think a lot of times people think of, uh, you know, you're sitting down, you're just listening to your breath, you're not doing anything, you're maybe doing, you know, a mantra or something like that. Um, I don't do a, a tremendous amount of that. I try to, I think more kind of within the realm of mindfulness, uh, being more mindful of things and you know, if I'm going to, rather than just sitting completely still and kind of doing that type of thing, I would rather, you know, I'm more of a go for a walk type person and just be quiet. And again, mindful, be mindful of the situation. And I think maybe I learned that from improvisation, that idea of being fully present in the moment. And so sometimes being fully present also means being present with your thoughts and what you're thinking and not thinking and and those types of things. So I think that's how I, I, I think it's a great thing to do. I know when I don't take time, like, I remember um, once being in the store, this was probably three or four years ago, um, and I ran out just quickly to go to the store, and I forgot my phone, and I was like, you know, as, and I, I realized it as I was closing my door, because I, like, did the traditional pat, where you, like, pat your po pockets to be like, okay, phone, keys, wallet, got it all. <laughs> I was doing that, and I was like, oh, I don't have my phone, but I was like, all right, you know, it's a super quick trip. I'll be fine. I'm just going to leave it here. And, um, <laughs> okay, my son has just entered the veranda. It's not a little birdie, yeah. Jamie, what I'm having another interview. Can you please? Okay, yeah, I'm not gonna cut the grass. <laughs> he's, he's keeping you on your chores right now. Go cut the grass right now. Uh, we have not agreed that I'm gonna cut the grass for anything, but. You have to stay home. Okay, tell mommy I'll cut the grass when I'm done with the interview. But it has not been on my chore list for this week. <laughs> okay, so for the interactions. Oh, um, so, yeah, it was, I just got a bit uh, sidetracked here with my yeah. son. Yes, you went out, you forgot your phone. Yeah, so, so I forgot my phone and I was I was in the store and it, the whole trip maybe took 15 minutes, but I remember waiting in line at the store and not knowing what to do. I was like, normally this would be when I would pull out my phone and check a quick email or go on Twitter or something like that. And I was like, what do I, what do I do? Am I, am I supposed to just <laughs> think to my, what's supposed, like, do I read the packet? Like, and so I realized that I was too kind of addicted to my phone at that point. I was like, I was too much into, I do need to take more time because the other way that I know the, the times that I notice that I haven't been as mindful or uh, into more meditation is, is sometimes if like you lay down at night and before you go to bed, that's what that, if that's the first time you've had time to think all day, um, without being running from one thing to the next. I, I don't think that that necessarily allows you to be in a creative space or a, in a uh, productive space either. And so I think it is, I do, I'm a big fan of meditation or mindfulness, whatever it is that that means to you, but finding that time so that you have the space to be creative or to solve bigger problems or to think more strategically. So I do think it's a very valuable thing to have. Okay, yeah. So as you said, I get it. So you, you have like more the walking mindfulness and... But also, <laughs> your spider solitaire. Yeah, my oh, spider's out there. Well, what actually, coming back to that, you say it helps you to be more productive, creative, mm -hmm. efficient, whatever. When you play this solitaire, do you feel like there's ideas coming up afterwards? Are you refreshed? Uh, not necessarily. I am refreshed only if I solve it. The problem is that <laughs> if I start it and I can't figure it out, I just get frustrated and I have to like keep going back and hit undo. Uh, until I can actually solve uh, the puzzle. But then once I solve it, it feels like, oh, okay, now I've, I've taken a break. Because I am, I'm an introvert, right? So you, you, you talked earlier, and I share this in my, my TEDx talk that I am a, you know, if you knew your personality assessments, I am a type A blue square conscientious INTJ with the <laughs> sign of Aquarius. Right, so that's, uh, that, that's kind of a lot of uh, yeah that's all the personality assessments right all the main ones anyway yeah yeah, yeah. the um, color one and disc and the whatever yeah, the color that. and disc is in there and myers-briggs and uh you know star astrology sign or whatever you know it's like that's the intj in me of like uh, completionist we like it um <laughs> but as an introvert 
So I love speaking. I love giving virtual workshops or in-person workshops. Uh, I love doing podcasts and talking with people one-on-one, but I also need to recharge. And so uh, that spider solitaire or going for a walk or exercising or going on Reddit for a little bit, those are all ways that I recharge after I've been drained a little bit of energy from a social interaction. Okay. Um, I've planned to interview a, f- a common friend from Stein as well. And uh, she's talked a lot about intro and extra words. Now that you say you're an introvert and you're so much into being a nerd, yeah. <laughs> intro nerd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is an introvert really? I mean, I sometimes have the feeling I'm an introvert. Sometimes I have the feeling I'm an extrovert and then I'm not sure. Yeah. Am I just shy? Am I just afraid? Or how, yeah. how do our listeners find out what are they? Yeah. So, I mean, the, at least the, the kind of the philosophy or mindset I follow of introversion, extroversion is not about social skill, um, but more about how you think and how you recharge. So introverts um, tend to think quietly to themselves. So if you ask them a question, they will be quiet a little bit. They'll want to think through the answer. And then before giving the answer, they'll want to think through what their their response is going to be. And then they want to give the full answer. Whereas extroverts tend to think a little bit more out loud. They start talking. And then as they talk, they start to figure out what they're going to say. And then at the end of it, they're like, okay, so long story short, this is kind of what I meant. My joke is that introverts very rarely say long story short because they've already created the shortest version of that story and just told it to you. Uh, The second component, and this is where I really mostly identify, is um, extroverts tend to recharge by being with other people. When they're around a big group or when they're around their friends, they get a lot more energy. And when they're on their own, they don't have as much energy, right? They're like a little bit bored or maybe a little bit listless. They're like, I want to do some other things. I want to go out and see people, et cetera. Um, whereas introverts recharge by being on their own. They can be social, right? You can learn how to be more social. I've had to learn that. I learned that from improv. But then after I've interacted with people, I want some time on my own where it's just me, where I'm just like where I can read or play a video game or, you know, yeah, do spider solitaire, whatever it is, but it's more time on my own. So those two things, how you think and how you recharge, I think are the primary kind of deciding factors of introversion, extroversion. And people are going to be a mix. Sometimes, you know, there's people who are, you know, introverted extroverts, they say, or ambiverts seems to be a big kind of in the middle people who are a little bit of both. So of course, it's not going to be one into the extreme for most people, but it's just more about, okay, yeah, I just know for me, I need time to recharge after interacting with, with people. Is that something which stays with you from birth to death, or is it something that can change during life? I mean, I think it changes. I think some of it probably stays the same, but certainly after doing improv, I was a lot more introverted in terms of how I spent my time, et cetera, growing up. But after doing improv, I think a lot more out loud now. Like I used to growing up, I used to be much more of the like, okay, let me think through and then now I'm going to say it. And now because of improv, because of doing podcasts and things like that, I've gotten much better at okay, can I formulate my thoughts as I'm saying them and talking out loud? So I do think that, you know, it shifts a little bit. I don't know if it's going to, you're going to go completely from one end of the spectrum to the other uh, in a lifetime, maybe, but I think it is going to evolve over time. Okay. Now I'm, I'm asking this for uh, personal curiosity and yeah. from my personal background, I've been <clears throat> having a lot of problems working because of the way people look at me. I have, ADD or ADHD, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's a sickness. I just think it's like having dark or white skin or, right. you know, yeah. it's, it's just a different way of thinking, different way of acting. Uh, but if you, of course, put in a box, uh, mm-hmm. you soon enough fi- think you're not worthy or whatever it is. Right. Um, so in 2011, I was fired two times in a very short time. Then I tried mm-hmm. to do photography, looking for jobs and all these things. Mm-hmm. And so I've been a lot here and where we live here on the West coast of Denmark, there's, it's not a big social place. I mean, it's a lot of wind. So a lot of fences are high. So people are basically, you plan up front when you meet someone, it's not like in Switzerland or Italy where you just go and you meet and you know, like you just improvise, (laughs) you just go as it is. Here it's more like a planned thing. So I realized I'm more and more home Mm -hmm. and 
I want to do things with people because I have this feeling like together we are more, right? Like team, yeah. what is it? Together each achieves more. Mm -hmm. From yeah. I think that's Jim Quick or someone like that saying that. Yeah. Um, but I also realize sometimes when I come around people, I just like, my energy just like collapses. Mm -hmm. yeah. But when I'm alone, I have a hard time to get things done because I want to have like this interaction with the people to do together. It's just much more mm -hmm. fun. So I don't really know it if I'm an introvert yeah. or extrovert because I'm very loud when I speak, but that's the ADHD. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's probably, I mean, the initial thing. And, and at the end of the day, I think that one, and this is one of the messages that I shared in the, the TEDx talk uh, talking about my grandmother is that we are not our personality assessments, right? Even if you take Myers-Briggs and it t you come out as INTJ, it doesn't necessarily that mean that you have to do everything that an INTJ would do right? Instead, you're defined by your actions. And so I think, you know, certainly if, if how you recharge is more on your own, then that probably lends itself to more introversion. And, but if you're not productive on your own, that doesn't necessarily mean introvert versus extrovert. It just means a matter of style, a matter of personal preference. And uh, again, these are all things that I think through actions, we can start to change or at least find things that motivate us, right? This is particularly true within like, say, creativity, because some people are great at sitting down and just writing. And they, they can just sit down with a blank sheet of paper and start going and create. Or they can sit down and start drawing and turn it into something. Other people are more like, I need to know exactly what it is that I'm trying to create. Like, I'm a type of person that I iterate on a lot of things. Like, I, the first draft of whatever I create, whether it is a stand-up joke or a, you know, I'm writing a book or drawing something or whatever the first draft is very rarely going to be like the perfect draft i am maybe i learned this through computer science maybe through improv but it's very much like okay get a quick draft out and then just iterate on it okay now that you've gotten the first basic out now how do you make it better this pass and then how do you pass it again and make it stronger and then how do you do it again and make it even better like and so that's my personal kind of process i don't know if that makes me necessarily that's not necessarily related to introversion extroversion but just the process for me that works yeah but that's linking into let's let's go continue with the creativity as you just interlinked it here <laughs> mm -hmm. and the the reason for me doing the podcast was too many people say they're not creative mm -hmm. i'm like i'll find people to interview from all kind of specs of life yeah. uh, which <clears throat> do something creative and now i had like the second software engineer in two yeah. days, <laughs> um, which proof uh, software engineers can be creative. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I assume you consider yourself creative. I mean, you already played that out. Uh, but if you would call creativity and innovation, how would you de define it from your point of view? Because there's like hundreds of views, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um... <clears throat> Like I would, yeah, I think, am I a traditional creative person? I don't think so necessarily. Like my brother, I'm, I'm the youngest of three boys. Uh, and my middle brother is the more traditionally creative type person. Uh, he's got the super long hair. He's a <laughs> professor. He like does drawings. Uh, he's painting. He like, you know, those types of quote unquote creative endeavors. Um, more traditional. I think that part of creativity for me is it comes through in solving problems. Like I'm, I am very much an injured engineer. I love solving problems and creativity can be a way of solving problems. And so for me, creativity is, is simply, it's kind of like that the most simplest form of it is the connecting unique connection of two or more ideas. It's bringing together two concepts, ideas, languages, thoughts, whatever in a unique way. And, um, and for me, I use it as an aspect mostly for less as like creative expression, which I think some people do of like, I just want to express emotion or I want to create a feeling or that kind of stuff. Uh, I do, I use creativity more as a, a, a way to solve a problem. Like I use humor. So like we, when we're working with clients and we're teaching people to use humor and story, it's not for your creative expression, but it's more so that people will remember what you say longer or so use a joke so that people will like pay attention a little bit more. So that's how my, my creativity is typically through that lens of solving some type of problem, even if the boredom, even if the problem is boredom. 
<laughs> okay, yeah, th there's the engineer coming, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like you also mentioned in your talks that um, the engineer in you wants to have efficiency and effectiveness mm -hmm. in everything. So uh, it's creative problem solving, some people say, but you just mm -hmm. call it like creativity is a part of problem solving. Yeah, I think so. Uh, how How is laughter or um, humor interlinked with creativity? Uh, well, I mean, I think they're both, they're both about finding unique connections. Humor, in a way, is about finding unique, unique connection with a, a slightly different spin on it. And so uh, they, both, they both involve looking at the world in a slightly different way. So creativity is sometimes that like, okay, well, you know, so a, an example that they often share in business school is the Dyson vacuum cleaner. <laughs> right and 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 Dyson the, the guy who created um uh Dyson spent many many years really trying to innovate a brand new vacuum cleaner tried a bunch of different designs and things like that but it wasn't until he went to a silo and he saw how they picked up the sands or the grains in the silo using a like kind of almost a a, a cyclone in the middle of the silo and he thought about that and he's like, okay, if that works for grains of sand, could that work for a vacuum cleaner? And so then he went back and that was the result. You know, he, he had innovated a number of times, but ultimately the base technology is uh, by analogy, right? It's by looking at how someone solved a problem in this area and reapplying it here, right? So that can be a, a form of creativity. Humor can be the same way. It can be like, okay, let me take a mindset or an idea from this situation and now connect it to this one and see, okay, what are the actual similarities? How is, uh, you know, how is leadership like driving a car? Cause everyone knows driving a car and everyone has experienced it, right? Like no one thinks that they're a bad driver, uh, just like no one thinks that they're a bad leader. leader. Uh, you know, as a driver, if you're getting into a car and you need a place to go, okay, you need a map. You need to know where it is that you're going. You can't just get in the car and be like, okay, car, take me somewhere better right? You need a destination, right? Same thing with leadership. You need to find a destination, right? So there's these similarities and things like that. You can start to find the humor uh, and the examples of them. So I think they're both about finding or looking, looking at things in a slightly different way and bringing in some unique connections. Um, <laughs> yes, just that example. So how do you come up with these connections? Uh, leadership with driving a car it, it's now that you say it, it it seems so obvious but um i don't think it's that obvious well for me and so this is what and this is what we do in our, our humor workshops is i'm a big fan of structure so i took um musical improv so my my kind of journey into humor was started doing improv in university because my best friend wanted to start a group needed people and basically forced me to join uh, then we started doing some stand-up as well. Then I uh, worked at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati, their global headquarters in Ohio for a little bit. But then I moved to New York City. And so when I moved to New York City, I started taking improv classes, stand-up classes, etc. cetera. And uh, at one point, I ended up taking a musical improv class. <laughs> and musical improv is basically you get a suggestion from the audience, and then you completely make up an improvised musical over the course of 45 minutes. Uh, or 30 minutes or 25 minutes, but it's complete with like songs, dance moves, scenes, all of that kind of stuff. And in improv, in musical improv class, I learned that there was a ton of structure in music. So like we learned, our first structure that we learned was a fairy tale musical. And that was like, okay, so whenever we're going to do a show, it's going to start first with an opening number and we're going to kind of establish the world that we're in. We're going to describe the scene a little bit through song. Then we're going to go into our first scene, and that's going to be a protagonist scene. So we're going to see the hero of our story, and we're going to learn through their song what they want in life, some, some type of objective that they have. Then we're going to have an antagonist scene, and that antagonist scene, we're going to learn about the, the uh, villain's philosophy. And that philosophy should in some way be in conflict with what the hero wants, right? Not necessarily directly. It's not, I want the hero to die, but it should be somehow in conflict. Then we're gonna do a charm scene where we bring some other people together. They're gonna to sing a song together just to kind of fill out the world. Then we're gonna put the protagonist and the antagonist together and we're gonna see what happens. And then we're gonna have a big closing number that finishes it off. And I remember thinking for myself, I was like, there's no way that that's gonna create fun presentation, right? That's too much structure, that's too obvious. 
And then it was pointed out to me that almost every Disney musical follows that framework. Almost every Disney music starts with that opening number, then has a protagonist scene, then an antagonist scene. Like, so it, it, that rough, rough structure. And so what I learned was that structure doesn't make things less creative. It can just make the creative process easier. Ah. And so when I'm with humor, right, I'm looking for the different structures. So to answer your question specifically about creating an association like leadership and cars, what I'm a big fan of is if you're creating some type of association or some type of metaphorical connection is to create a, a 10 by 10 list. And so what you can do is you can list, okay, if I want to talk about leadership, let me then write down 10 things related to leadership. All right. So leadership is about having a vision leadership. You have to adapt to change leadership. Um, you have to know where you're, uh, where you're headed. Leadership is something that you can learn. Leadership, uh, no one thinks that they're bad at it, right? So you're creating a list of at least 10 things related to leadership. And then you think of what you want to associate with. So in this case, driving. And then it's like, okay, now let me list 10 things related to driving. Okay, well, you have a GPS and no one thinks you're a bad driver. And you have to like learn, like when you first started learning how to drive, you were really nervous, but now it's fine. You can get a license for driving. You can like go too fast, like, uh, you know, whatever it is, that list. And then after you have these two lists, you can start to see, okay, what connections do I see? Oh, okay, just like leadership, you need a vision. In driving, you need to have a destination. Okay, that's one connection. No one thinks they're a bad leader. No one thinks they're a bad driver. Okay, that's another connection. And so you can start, humans are very good at association. They're very good at finding connections, even if it's a very loose one. And so you can find those connections and now that can help you build out that story. But by having an exercise like that, having that structure, you could break it completely. You could decide that you want to do something else. But that as a starting point, at least for me, gives me my first iteration that I can build from. Okay. <clears throat> um, my interview yesterday, uh, Alex talked about mind mapping for him to help to write books, to get yeah. like the skeleton in 30 minutes because he started it five to six years ago. So for you, it's the 10 by 10 list or do you have other... It's, that's one of many. It depends on what I'm trying to do. So this, this is the engineering side of me that, <laughs> um, you know, with the workshops, I wanted to look at, at least from a humor perspective, what are the most common devices for creating humor? And okay, so if association is a common device, can there be an exercise that helps us create association? Oh, this 10 by 10 list. Uh, incongruity is another common device. Just something saying, saying something unexpected or saying something in a slightly different way is another common device. So then you can think of, okay, what's an exercise for that? So for each type of thing that, each type of device, I try to create or find a structure that will make that creative process easier. And then, like I said, you're going to change it, right? It does, not everything is going to fall exactly into this format. So for example, one of the other common devices is called a comic triple. And this is probably one of the things that people first learn when they're learning kind of writing, but it's a great example and it's probably one of the easiest, but a comic triple is uh, when you have a list of three things and the third thing is unexpected. So for example, you know, I joke that I've always been an engineer. As a, as a kid, I used to like to take things apart and then put them back together again. Things like clocks and radios and my parents' marriage. <laughs> comic triple the first two things are normal on a list the third thing is unexpected but it still kind of fits within that list it creates a little bit of laughter at least like leaning in like wait a minute did he just really say that um, <laughs> so that is a structure right so anytime you now have a list you can start to say okay can i put that in a list of three and can i make that third thing something unexpected and now this is a new structure that you have to follow and um, you can then change that. Maybe you start out with a comic trip one and realize, oh, it's much better as just a joke, or maybe I don't need the first two things, but it's just a way to get started. For me, it, it helps us get around that paradox of choice, right? Um, Barry Schwartz has a great TED talk on paradox of choice, which I think applies to creativity, which says that we become paralyzed by having too many options. And so for people who aren't able to just sit down and start writing, for people who aren't able to just like, you know, kind of draw their way to something perfect. I like having a structure you can start with. And then, as I said before, it iterates from there. Uh, yes, I can see something there. Paradox of choice is purpose. That's one of the things why I didn't really get going. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I love to draw. I love to take pictures, video, 
uh, I'm sitting on the veranda, I build uh, architecture. Yeah. <laughs> I love to tell stories until I was told too many times that my grammar sucks. And um, the stories are interesting, but then they're boringly, they're not well told or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And when you're like eight yeah. or nine years old, you give up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly, which is sad. And I've heard that so many times, especially Tim Ferriss is really good in putting in the hammer on the nail and say, hey guys, if he can learn anything and he will, he sucked in math and he can learn it at what was he, 40 or something, we all can. We, we are oh, not what sure. we, like you said, we are not what our assessment says we are. Um, but for me, the paradox of choice might also be one of the things that keeps me. And if I'm around people which have energy, you know, the ones who say, let's yeah. get doing instead of, okay, what do you want? What do you want? Then I'm also, you know, you lose the energy, right? Because yeah. the, the, all the energy you have just dissipates in too many directions, I think. And yeah. having this structure, as you mentioned, uh, puts the energy back into something. And yeah. you have the feeling of achieving something if you can write lists, right? You have the feeling, oh, I, I get somewhere. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think it's, it's a function of a couple of things. One, it's learning to be comfortable with the first draft not being perfect. And this was something that I've learned with improv um, is that, yeah, you have to, it's going to be messy. You have to be able to yes and your own ideas, but you don't get to a second, third or fourth draft without doing the first one. And so you have to be like, okay, I have to be okay with this being pure crap. I have to be okay with maybe I'm not going to show this with other people. Maybe it's just going to be terrible, but at least let me get it started. And then now I can, I can improve on it. That's at least what it is, you know, for me. And then I think the other thing is, is recognizing that, you know, skill improves over time. So there's this great uh, Ira Glass interview where he talks about creativity and maybe you've seen it, but he says that a lot of people in the creative endeavors, they, they give up too soon because they have an idea in their head of what they want to create. So if you think kind of drawing is maybe the most kind of um, direct example of this. Uh, but I think it applies to all creativity. You have an example in your head, like what you want to draw. You have this picture, you think it's perfect, and then you put it out there, and it's not very good. It doesn't match the picture in your head. Yeah. And so you try it again, and it still doesn't match. And eventually, you start to give up because you're like, oh, well, it's not matching the picture in my head. I must not be a very good drawer. And the, the, the reality is that you have really good taste. You have a good artistic vision. Your, your capabilities hasn't caught up yet. And so it's a matter of, still working at it so recognizing that there's that separation between the artistic idea and the execution of it and you just have to keep working on the execution of it until it's it matches your taste and and he says it much more eloquently much more inspirational than that so i encourage people to go and kind of seek it out watch the his his creativity um what's his name again ira glass i iron ira ira yeah glass and then like glass of water <laughs> um and but no it's it's a fantastic kind of look at realizing that the fact that if your if your execution isn't living up to your idea that's actually a good sign in a way because it means <laughs> that you have strong good artistic ideas and now it's just a matter of practice and repetition building that expertise and i think that's what we get so you know we don't see a, a friend of mine named alan stein talks about this because he came up from the world of sport but he's like, you don't see the unseen hours. Yeah, exactly. And the unseen yeah. hours are where people are, 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 where they make or break is the unseen hour. Cause you see the perfect, you know, painting or sketch on Instagram or the very funny joke from the comedian or whatever it is. And you don't know how many iterations, how much time, how much effort went into creating that crystallized version that you see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I have Ira Glass um, TED Talk, but I have uh, a printed on what is it on one of these Canon small printers. Um, yeah. The quote, exactly what you mentioned about you know what you when you have an idea but you're not matching it up. Mm -hmm. uh, the great have just continued and going, mm -hmm. and that's what we don't learn at school. And uh, yeah. if you don't have parents or friends or neighbors or whatever which don't tell you, you will give up. Yep. Um, so it's it's very good that you mentioned that. Uh, I love it because when I look at my veranda, I definitely I have really great architecture things in my head. And they yeah. knew that when I was 16. They, they told mm -hmm. me, like, you're not one of the guys which you sent from the parents because you have this thing. 
Yeah. But I gave up because somewhere I heard you just work 60 hours a week and you earn shit. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to live life because I did yeah. sports and all the things. I didn't go for architecture. Um, mm-hmm. Now I built this. <laughs> I, lo- I mean, my first bike shed is crap. So yeah. <laughs> I, st- I still have it. Uh, my wife just told me after doing the, the greenhouse this spring, wow, this greenhouse is awesome. Like, yeah, after five years of building stuff with my hands now and woodwork, uh, please make the bike shit. Yeah. Oh, come on. I, I want to draw as well a bit and do some other stuff. Yeah. Do the podcast. I want to improve my interview skills as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now I forgot. The, ah, yeah. The questions I had else was so uh, I have many questions for you, but let's see what, what I can ask. Yeah. <laughs> now you say that we don't see the, um, the unseen hours, mm-hmm. the unseen effort. Uh, yeah. someone puts in if you have a, a show how much do you have a, a time frame you know it's going to take me 10 20 30 hours to prepare for a show um, or is it like it's getting less and less because you kind of reuse what you've done before um, compared to something yeah. completely new something you let's say you have to talk uh, not talk about Walt Disney movies but uh, <laughs> <laughs> about knitting or something like that you have yeah. to stand in front of people for 20 minutes talk about knitting and the creativity <laughs> yeah how long would that take for someone well, which has and, and yeah and so i think it it does definitely take time and it depends on the the focus what's interesting is that it would either take me zero time because i would just <laughs> improvise 20 minutes around knitting and leverage 15 years of experience of like improv or it would probably take me 40 or 50 hours of like research and testing jokes and finding that, right? So there's probably some type of balance in between those things. But I don't traditionally, like, so there, there's, within stand-up, there's kind of two ways that people traditionally do things uh, in stand-up. Uh, is you have the George Carlins of the world where uh, they would, he would do a special, uh, record it, and then never do any of that material again and work for another hour. Like he would work to create another hour worth of special and do that within a year. Uh, And then there are people who would, uh, they evolve their material instead. And so they might have two very different specials a year apart, two years apart, three years apart, but it's not like they're completely starting from scratch. It's just like, okay, I have this really good hour of material. Now I'm going to replace the middle section with a couple of new jokes, but keep the beginning and end. Okay, now I'm going to move what's at the beginning to the end or what's at the end and move it to the beginning and now I'll create a brand new end. So that by the time that you've gotten a year later or two years later, it's a completely new special, but they've evolved it the entire time uh-huh. using a mix of some things that they know that work and some things that are brand new and that they're testing out. I do more of that. So if I'm working on a brand new talk, a lot of times I'm bringing in some of the components that I know work from other talks, but then adding new material. So for example, the TEDx talk, and the shorter the talk, almost the longer it takes. I heard that. (laughs) Uh, So the TEDx talk, 18 minutes, that has components of things that I had talked about before, also has a bunch of brand new material. And I uh, I had four months to prepare for that. And so... Because uh, basically, kind of, they're like, okay, yeah, you're gonna, we're, we're agree, you're gonna do this at Texas A&M. Uh, the date is this, and that was about four months later. Now, I am not someone. I joke that I don't procrastinate, but I do believe in just-in-time productivity. So I only do things when I have to do them. Uh, and so I knew that if I had four months to do something, and if all I did was like, oh, I'm gonna sit at home and write, and that'll be good, and then go. I knew that wouldn't have worked for me. So instead, what I did was I booked a bunch of stand-up shows. I uh, changed some of my speaking engagements to be able to do like 18 minutes of what the TEDx talk would be. And basically, like I said before, I iterated on it. And the stand-up shows would force me to be productive. Like sometimes I would be going to the stand-up show and still writing what I'm going to say that night or still tweaking or moving things around. And it's like, theoretically, I could have pre-planned on that and then gone, but that's not how I work. So I needed a date on my calendar. I needed something to keep me accountable to make sure that I could still actually get the things done that I wanted to get done. And that was, you know, and that's my process. And so 
Uh, I'm just going to iterate through that process. I'll have a lead time and practice it. Like, so for example, next week I'm leading a, a talk that's a little bit newer. I've done it a couple of times, but now I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do stand up a couple of times this week and work on some material that's related to it. I'm, I'm reaching out to a couple of people I know who I can be like, Hey, can I do a 20 minute talk for your group of 10 people? And it's just allowing me to get like a, a rep of it because what I've learned from improv is that at least for me is failure is just data. Right? So the, the first shed that you create it, maybe it's not a masterpiece, but you got a lot of data from it. Right. And even if the shed completely fell down overnight, right, you still would have learned and you would be like, okay, so I can't make it that way because it didn't quite work this way. So that's the same thing that's true with, with humor. And it took me a while to get there, but it's like, okay, if I say a joke that no one laughs at, it doesn't mean that I'm not a funny person. It does, it's not commentary on my worth as a comedian or as a human. It's simply to say the way that I just tried that did not work. So how do I adjust it and tweak it to see if it works the next time? Uh, very good. <laughs> because I guess uh, it was hitting you. I mean, you, you're very good in, um, you're very vulnerable uh, with the pictures and, and, and you said you use yourself as yeah. resource for <laughs> funny stand-up shows. <laughs> And I'm not, I'm not really good in watching YouTube because I'm always active. So I just hear the people laughing when you say like, okay, uh, Procter and Gamble after my practice, I had this presentation and just the night before you used whatever color draw, whatever it was, yep. and yeah. you made this picture. I had to stop to look at the picture. It's crazy. Uh, And clearly not a very good, no one, that's not going to hang up in a museum kind of like anywhere because of its artistic, like necessarily, because it's stick figures, but it was something fun and it was a creative expression for me. Did you make the people laugh at that presentation? I did. And they I absolutely did. So yeah, it got the result that I was looking and it was something different. It got people to lean forward. And so, you know, and that's, <laughs> that's the, you know, that was part of that's that going, that's going back to the solving problems of like, I wasn't doing the painting to here's my artistic expression. I was doing it for <laughs> here's a thing that I want to try to achieve. That's it. So humor was kind of giving you the job, but being able to be uh, funny, probably also it was courageous on one point. That probably is also something they might have seen. If you're courageous enough to present something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they've done studies on that. Of people who use humor um, are seen. So it's interesting because if, if you use humor and it is successful and appropriate, and this is all just from one study, so you have to take it with a, you know, a smaller sample size, et cetera. But if you use humor and you are successful and it is deemed appropriate, you are seen as being more confident and more competent. If you are, if you use humor, it is successful, but it is inappropriate. So successful meaning that it makes people laugh or smile, but it is kind of inappropriate. People will see you as more confident, but not as more competent, right? Because yeah. like, you didn't have the emotional intelligence to know whether or not the joke would be appropriate or not. If you use humor, it's unsuccessful uh, and it's inappropriate. <laughs> you are seen as, I think, still kind of confident, but you are seen as less competent. Uh, and if you use humor that is appropriate, but not successful, so it's appropriate, but people don't laugh, you're still seen as more confident. So as long as your humor in the workplace mm -hmm. is, is appropriate, then at worst, you're just going to still, like you said, the fact that you're willing to try humor shows a little bit of confidence. And then two, if it is successful, not only do you improve uh, the perception of confidence, but also confidence. People are like, not only is this person confident, but they must also must be pretty good at what they do. Ah, that's a good one. So we all should be more funny or try to be more funny. Yeah, I think, I mean, work in humor in a way that is appropriate. And that's what we teach. It's like, okay, how do you do, how do you use humor in a way that's appropriate? How do you, how do you do it the right amount? So it's not seen as someone just trying to always make jokes or trying too hard or that kind of thing. So there is certainly a fine line with all that, but that's part of the value of, you know, there's a number of benefits to humor in the workplace, but that is definitely one of them is that idea of being more confident and more courageous. Yeah, that's definitely a good one to take from, from this talk. Uh, now you, I don't know if, uh, if you have been going further around the world, definitely not the last three months, yeah. but, but um, you, I, I, I don't remember how many countries you have visited. How is it? It's, at, it's 
30 now, six continents, uh, 30 countries. So six, six continents by now, because yep. the last one I saw it was only three continents. Yep. How, how does it change with appropriate things that work? Uh, let's see. Okay, my, my microphone just uh, pops up and down. Yeah. <laughs> How does the, the humor changes from, you know, country to country or even in the US? I mean, West Coast to East Coast to the Central, North, South. Um, do you have to adjust every time? Do you have some kind of a belly feeling that a certain way of humor works here and a certain way of humor works there? Or yeah, I mean, you, you test it to, before you go? <laughs> yeah, you have, to, you have to adjust a little bit. Uh, you know, so what I, I think is true is I think what people laugh at does change a little bit. Um, but that people laugh is a universal. Yeah. Right? That people find humor and stuff. So what they laugh at. But that could change from, it could change from, I could do a show in New York City um, at a comedy club at 7 p.m. And be in the exact same room, but with a different audience at 9 p.m. And it's still, they have a sense of humor that's different, right? So that it can change from room to room, from night to night, across generations, across regions, across like job titles. So like engineers, uh, when I speak to engineers, it's a little bit different than speaking to sales, etc. So there are differences. There are some universals, things like there's certain things that send, tend to resonate with people no matter where in the world I'm, I'm speaking to. So one of the examples is, my struggle with learning a new language. So my fiance is German. Um, like she was born and raised in Germany, fluent in German and uh, English, Spanish, and some French and all that, where again, like I said, I only have the one language. And so I've been, I can share humor about me trying to learn another language. And I think that resonates with people. It resonates with the people who uh, haven't learned another language. So fellow Americans or other people who only have one language. And then it also resonates with the people who have learned another language because they remember what it's like to go through that. Or they are just kind of laughing at me because I'm a silly American and I don't speak, you know. <laughs> but it's like there's, there's things that resonate. And part of it is doing your research. Part of it is adapting. And part of it is, you know, as comedians, we sometimes have test jokes where, you know, at the beginning um. of my set, I have certain types of different types of humor and depending on how people respond to the different types of humor, that may change what I say a little bit later. So for example, I love puns and I love wordplay, um, but I know that you have to have very strong English skills to get some puns and some wordplay. And so I will, when speaking, do maybe one pun early up top. And if people laugh, then I'll do more puns later. If they groan, I'll do more puns later because I think that's kind of a fun back and forth. If there's silence, if there's no reaction whatsoever, if people just don't get it or they don't laugh or they don't enjoy it, then I don't do puns later, right? So I can adapt a little bit on the fly. Um, now that you said you have to be pretty good in, in, in the language you use uh, when you want to do this word place, how is it um, when you go to Germany or France or any other place? <laughs> yep. Because then you have to be careful in, in you know, how sophisticated your <laughs> your words are you use yeah well and yeah and so that's a testing thing that is a checking thing that is a um asking questions because the other thing is you can you can kind of customize it's interesting because like everywhere you go in the world there's always there's always a place that some some groups are like yeah that place isn't as good as our place so for example if you live in new york people always kind of joke a little bit about New Jersey not being as good. If you live in Ohio, you kind of like joke about Kentucky not being as good. If you live in, um, like I learned when I was in doing an event in uh, Malaysia, um, they joke, or no, if you're in Singapore, they kind of joke a little bit about Malaysia not being quite as, as cool as Singapore, right? So mm -hmm. every place that you go to, if you're in, you know, Berlin, they might not think, oh, maybe Cologne is, in this cool like whatever it is but you can go to that region and you can ask okay what's the dichotomy where what like what places is cooler than and then you can use the same exact jokes that you would use for new york versus new jersey and now use it for budapest versus prague or whatever it happens to be whatever that kind of social thing is so there's certain styles of jokes that you can keep and then you just change the specifics to match the region that you're in okay um we have to watch our time <laughs> yep. because I have a lot of more questions I can see because you're just like, <laughs> it's not the first time you're doing that. So <laughs> yeah. 
When I'm an engineer, I love thinking about these things and I love trying to like hopefully articulate them in a way that that are simplified or at least resonate with people. Yeah. So let, let's try to, to, to wrap it down so you can uh, reach the other meetings you have and I can yep. go and cut the grass. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I didn't know about it. Yep. Um, I like to ask people about advice they, they, they got during life. It could be something they wish they would have taken earlier on because they were just pushing it away all the time or it just came eventually and they're like, okay, this is something really helping me to, mm -hmm. to grow in whatever way. Do you have any of those? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, advice, uh, it stuck with me. One is, um, my manager at PNG and I maybe have shared this in one of the, the Ted talks. Um, he told me on basically my first week on the job, he's like, it is better to beg for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. Um, at least, you know, certainly at PNG, with the idea being that, you know, take ownership and try things out. And if you have to apologize, assuming within, you know, within a certain like, um, you know, umbrella, don't go like, don't like steal money from the company and then be like, whoops, sorry. Um, <laughs> but within reason. Uh, and, and that really helped me to, to have the courage to proclaim myself the corporate humorist at PNG, to use more humor in my work every day. Um, and so I think that's a big one. Yeah, Jamie, I'm almost done. Um, okay, so I've heard that one before, but as, as you say, beg for forgiveness instead of asking for permission. It always depends, right, on... Right. Yeah. The on what it is, as you say, you don't want to steal money and they say, oh, sorry, I just needed to pay my bills. Yeah. I mean, it might be okay in a certain situation, but generally speaking, not. So, but it's, well, I think part it's of taking it is, ownership, though, it, as you say, right? It's the, it's the ownership piece and it's the not sitting around and waiting for permission. It's, it's, the, it's the not like waiting for, you know, someone to say, hey, be a little bit of creative or, hey, do some more drawing or whatever. Like, because that's not, a lot of times you're not going to get that. Like, uh, you know, I was doing a podcast uh, yesterday interviewing a guy named Tim Gard, and he um, he was basically saying he speaks on humor as well. And he was like, uh, I'm going to have fun and no one is going to stop me. Right. You have to do that within reason. But the idea that he's going to take that ownership for his own fun or own creativity or, or other things, um, which I think is valuable. The other one that I think has been particularly helpful uh, is, and I don't even remember who told me it, but someone at some point, and maybe it was just a cliche that I read online, but someone was like, you know, if someone wrote a book about your life, would anyone care to read it? And over time, I've learned that it's, for myself, it's actually even a little bit different, but it's more, if anyone wrote a book about your life, would you care to read it? And that I think has been very helpful when it's come to me making decisions. So like when I decided to move from Cincinnati where I grew up, my hometown, where I had friends and family and all that, moved to New York City where I knew no one, that question came to mind. When I left P&G to uh, start my own company and leave the safety and security of having a, a good paying job and all that kind of stuff uh, out there, that was a, a question that came to mind. When I left, for a period of time, I became a nomad. So when I put all my stuff in storage and lived out of two carry-on bags and traveled around uh, the country and traveled around the world, went to 14 countries, all that uh, in a year, which I know isn't a lot for Europeans, but it's a lot for an American. Um, that was a question that came to mind. And, and it basically, is allow, it's a way for me to reflect and when making a decision to say, okay, what makes for the cooler story? What makes for the more interesting life? What's more compelling? Is it is it a cooler story for you to always wish that you could be a little bit more creative and do that drawing or write or, you know, start knitting or, you know, try building a bicycle or whatever it is that you kind of wanted to do? Is it cooler to let that always be a like thing that you never actually tried? Or is it a cooler story to be like, no, I actually tried it. Maybe I failed miserably. Maybe I like injured my thumb or whatever, but at least I tried it and gave it a go. And so those two things I think together have definitely helped me. Wow. Yeah, they're definitely, I mean, as I say, I can say I did at yeah. least my, <laughs> it took me four months to build it because it was hard to get it going. Yeah. So that's a really cool, um, to keep it short, where can people reach out to you? Sure. Well, if people are interested in the, the humor stuff that we've talked about, uh, they go to humorthatworks.com. That's the um, American spelling. Although if you use the, Brit the, the other uh, spelling with the additional U, you'll find me, but humorthatworks.com. 
Um, that's where we have like a bunch of free resources about humor in the workplace, uh, how to learn how to use humor, access to the book, all that kind of thing. Um, if they want to contact me directly, uh, my social media is uh, at Drew Tarvin, so D-R-E-W-T-A-R, uh, V as in Victor, I-N. Um, that's all social media. It's the same thing, but they can find me there. And, and certainly if people have questions, feel free to, to DM me or, or shoot me a message on um, any of those platforms. I'm always more than happy to, to chat or share more. Awesome. So... Um guests uh, like guests, listeners audience thank you for uh, <laughs> your your time and uh, being part of that other really great talk I mean there's so much more I want to ask but I can see that we have to stop here and hopefully we can do a part two where yeah, we'll I can go do a deeper. part two sometime the sequel the sequel yeah I'm, I'm actually getting good in the last weeks to have part two and three and fours um, so until then my dear listeners, thanks. Hey, here's Oliver again at the end of the show. I, If you like this interview or any other episode I had so far, please head out and go to your favorite podcast host, podcast provider, and put that subscribe button so you will get all my future episodes as well. And if you're so friendly and you really like and enjoy and would like more people to be able to to benefit from the interviews I have go out to uh, Apple Podcasts Spotify wherever you are and leave some uh, review some ratings which will help to get my show a little bit more seen thank you very much for that and have a great day <laughs>